As I've said in the last couple weeks, it's a special time of the year, but it really gets special as we get ready to go to the land of Israel. I get real excited, a little nervous, because I speak a number of times in Israel, I worry about the details, but there's such an excitement. You go around this room, I think there's 20 of us from Shuva that are going out of the 24, and you have a, a, a lunch afterwards. There's excitement. We're going as a family. We're going as a unit. And we go throughout all the land of Israel, as you will all hear when I get back. I will take you through our tour. But there's, there's real excitement, of course, this time of the year because of the Jewish holidays. But tomorrow is a special day. We actually, uh, by the way, those dates up there, in case you were confused, there was two May dates. Anyone know those two May dates? There was May, uh, what's today, 3rd? Yeah, uh, oh, oh no, forget today. If you're confused about May 14th and May 5th, okay. May, May 5th is Israel Independence Day this year. We celebrate it this year here. Now, Israel calendar is different. Israel calendar is different. So the real Independence Day is in the Hebrew calendar. It's called Ayar 5. Ayar 5. That happens to be this year our May 5th. 66 years ago, it was May 14th. So when, you, when someone says, when's Israel real independence, May 14th, not exactly right. It was that year. Israel independence is Ayar 5, which for our year changes all the time. But tomorrow is a special day because Monday is Yom Hatzmoot, celebration. And so last year, and we've been there before, Fran and I and some of the people are there. Um, uh, last week in Israel was uh, Yom HaShoah, the Holocaust, the morning. And they remember the Holocaust. And uh, that's very, very serious in Israel. And they have special things that take place in the Knesset. But a week later is even, I wouldn't say more important, but it's more touching and moving to the Israelis. This holiday that takes place tomorrow. It's called Memorial Day. And the reason that speaks to most of them is they have family, friends, and loved ones who have died. And they celebrate it on Memorial Day, which is tomorrow. So that begins tonight at sundown and it goes for a whole day. And the beautiful thing at one point is really amazing. You're in a major highway. Imagine the 5, the 405, the 91, whatever you want to say. You're on a major highway. All of a sudden, sirens will sound tomorrow about 10 in the morning. On the every car stops in the whole country. Wherever you are, offices, everyone stops, stands, and you don't say a word for about, I'm not sure if it's one or two minutes. Not a word. The whole nation is in mourning. It's a really incredible sight. Really very, very touching to see them standing on the highway. Everyone just bowed like that as they remember the suffering. That's Memorial Day. That's Sunday. The amazing thing that I mention that is because that goes from tonight till tomorrow night because it's all day tomorrow. But tomorrow night at sundown, as they're mourning, soon as the sun goes down, they flip a switch very hard and emotional for them and they have trouble the Israelis tell me they have trouble for the first hour or so they flip a switch and have to start rejoicing it's really really an emotional time and the celebration and last year we did it with uh, Jeremy's uh, mom in a place called Carmel Yosef and the singing and the dancing and the rejoicing it was really really tremendous time as they celebrate uh, Independence Day so it is it is a special time uh, and yet so I, I love to share about this and what I'm going to share with you now remember always the good news you will eat today Anyway, but what I share with you today, I want you to take notes because there's a lot of, especially in our time, there's a lot of important things as we talk about the Arab-Israeli conflict. As we talk about the Israel and the Palestinian conflict, there's so many questions, there's so much confusion about it. And it really doesn't have to be that confusing. I love Dennis Prager. He says, just turn on to his course. He'll tell you the whole problem in five minutes. He's got courses on his, uh, on his uh, email or his uh, whatever, whatever. What do they call it? What? You look it up on the internet. Thank you. Whatever. I don't know. It shows how savvy I am. But five minutes, he'll give you a course on this. But I like to speak on this because, because so much in this world, so many people, so many individuals are against 
the Jewish people and against Israel. They really are. I am not paranoid, folks. I just happen to know this. When we talk about minorities suffering, my people <clears throat> have suffered. Some of be because God punished them for doing wrong. Some is just because of Satan. And where do I get that from? I'm not uh, just a crazy person. Revelation chapter 12 tells you Satan has an eternal war against God, against his people, against the Messiah. He will do whatever he can to destroy. That's what he does. So he's turned in our time, nations, individuals, the whole world, the secular world, the media, everybody turns on Israel. Uh, I think you can sum it up pretty well when they, wait, don't put it up there yet. Okay. When you think of Jewish, they say, aggression and the world's problems are because of the Jewish people. Yeah, yeah really, because, you know, Israel's out to conquer the world. We understand that. Please, if it's on tape, this is tongue in cheek. But our Jewish people are out to conquer the world. And we can see what a good job they're doing, I think. Right there. <laughs> they're doing a very good job. Can you see the yellow? That's how much they've conquered, folks. And that was by the hand of God. But here's the amazing thing. You see that yellow spot there? The Jewish people have conquered and are holding on to that? Listen carefully. That's all they want. They want nothing else. They, someone said it this way. Today, how do we get world peace? Well, if today the Arabs, the Muslims, the Palestinians lay down their arms, all their weapons, today there will be world peace. Middle East, peace in the Middle East, not world. Because man is man. But if they, if they lay down their arms, there will be peace in that whole area. Now, if the Jewish people lay down their arms, let's be fair, what will happen? You will not see any more yellow on that map. And that's really the issue as the whole world rises up. I like, we're not going to play it because we can't understand his words anyway or the music, but I like the famous song that was made in 1981 by that Jewish guy, Bob Zimmerman. And, and let me just quote a couple, not, I, I don't need it up there. Well, let's see if you can follow me. Just a couple things, a couple things that he said. Uh, he got, the song is called The Neighborhood Bully. And it says, well, he's a neighborhood bully. He's just one man. His enemies say he's on their land. The Jewish people are on their land. They got him outnumbered about a million to one. He's got no place to escape to, no place to run. He's the neighborhood bully. The neighborhood bully, he just lives to survive. He's criticized and condemned for being alive. Uh, He's not supposed to fight back. He's supposed to have thick skin. Supposed to lay down and die when his door is kicked in. Israel is the neighborhood bully. The neighborhood bully, he's been driven out of every land. He's wandered the earth as an exiled man. Seen his family scattered, his people hounded and torn. He's always on trial for just being born. And he's the neighborhood bully. I want to skip the next one. The chances, well, the chances are against it. And the odds are slim that he lives by the rules that the world makes for him. There's a noose at his neck and a gun at his back, and a license is given to, to every maniac. He's the neighborhood bully. Every empire, I like this little phrase he made, every empire that's enslaved him is gone. Egypt, Rome, even the great Babylon. He's made a garden of paradise in the desert sand, in bed with nobody under no one's command. He's the neighborhood bully. Now his holiest books have been trampled upon. No contract he signed was worth what it was written on. He took the crumbs of the world, turned it into wealth. He took disease and uh, sickness and disease and he turned it into health. He's the neighborhood bully. I want to read this year at, I, you know, I go to a conference in Messiah. Uh, it's outside of Harrisburg, Grantham, Pennsylvania every year. It's where a friend and I met. Uh, 42 years ago, 42 years ago, right, at this conference. We have special speakers. This year we're having a guy I'm really, I'm really, really pleased with. He's an Arab journalist by the name of Joseph Farah. And he's got a column he writes. But he writes this, and I like to read this. And I, I, I mentioned all these things. You'll pick up some and you'll, you'll miss some. But today is very important to, to try to clarify these issues. If you believe what you read in most newspaper sources, Palestinians want a homeland. 
And Muslims want control over their sites that they consider holy. Well, that's simply not true. As an Arab-American journalist, this man who has spent my time in the Middle East dodging more than my share of rocks and mortar shells, I've got to tell you that these are just phony excuses for rioting, troublemaking, and grabbing more land. Isn't it interesting? And most people don't know this. Today, you know, Israel gave back the Gaza Strip a number of years ago. It was about almost 10 years ago. Gave back the Gaza Strip. Now the big issue is, everybody, what, what part of land? You know which one? Someone? No, not Jerusalem. The West Bank. The West Bank is the big issue today, which I don't like to call the West Bank. It's really the area of Judea and Samaria because it really belongs to Israel. But, all right, we're going to call it the West Bank. That's the big issue today. But isn't it interesting that prior to 1967, and I usually rush over this. I'm taking my time today. I'm sorry. From 1948, May 14th, to 1967, anyone good with math? 19 years. The whole West Bank was under the control of Jordan. That whole West Bank would belong to them. If you went into Jerusalem, I show you the bullet holes in the wall, it was divided in half. One side of the street was Jordan, the other side of the street was Israel. They had the West Bank for 19 years. They had permission to do whatever they wanted. Annex it, make it part of that state of Jordan. They didn't do it. They weren't interested in it. Interesting. He said, is it from that time? There was no serious movement for that land. The truth is that Palestine, Palestine is no more real than never, never land. They're coming from him, not me. The first time the name was used, and this you need to know, fact, Palestine, where to come from? 70 CE, or some of you say AD. The Romans came in, destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed Jerusalem, and they, instead of calling the land Israel, they changed the name to the land of the Philistines, which came out to be Palestine. When the Romans completed genocide against all the Jewish people, smashed the temple and declared the land of Israel would be no more. Really, the term, if you ever say Palestine, is an anti-Semitic term. It was used to destroy the Jewish people and say they no longer exist. It should really never be used, that term. Palestine never existed before and before or since as an autonomous entity. It was never a nation. It was always ruled by either Rome, Islam, uh, by Islamic and Christian crusaders, the Ottoman Empire, and briefly, for a short time, after World War I, by the British, 1917 to 1947. And they agreed to restore and give the land to the Jewish people as their homeland. In 1917, the British said, this land is going to the Jewish people. It was promised to them. It's a thing called the Balfour Declaration. It was promised to the Jewish people in 1917. Five years later, they reneged. They said, that's too much land to give them. There's Jewish people. Now they don't know that. We're going to cut it into fifths. We're going to give the Jewish people of those fifths one fifth. And all the Arabs can live in four fifths. It's very interesting. The Arabs could live in all five fifths. The Jewish people had to live in the one fifth. That was five years later, actually 1922. In 1946, those four-fifths of that land became known as, actually it was Transjordan, I think around 1941, and in 47 it was declared Jordan. Listen carefully. That is the Palestinian state. It was given to them. That's where the Palestinians should have gone if they wanted to live outside of Israel. Most of them didn't want to because they got better treatment in Israel, than it, but that's another story. In 1947, though, of the one-fifth they were given to Jewish people, the world said too much, the one-fifth. They chopped it from here to one-fifth. Then they said, we'll give them half of that. And most of that's just the desert. That was the declaration of the UN in 1947, Thanksgiving weekend. They gave us half of that, mostly desert. Israel said, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you every time. The Arabs said, no, 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 war. Because they don't want them to exist. And that's just facts, folks. It's not Jewish uh, bias. There is no language known as Palestinian 
There's no distinct Palestinian culture. There's never been a land known as Palestine, governed by Palestinians. Palestinians are Arabs, indistinguishable from Jordanians, Assyrians, Lebanese, Iraqis. Keep in mind that the Arabs control 99.9% of the Middle East. Israel represents one-tenth of one percent of the landmass. But that's too much, he says, for the Arabs. They want it all. And that is ultimately what the fighting in Israel is all about. Greed, pride, envy, covetousness. No matter how many land concessions the Israelis make, it will never be enough. Today, I heard, not today, but in this day and age, I heard on Dennis Prager and other things, people ask me, are you for a two-state solution? What I mean by that is the West Bank would be Palestinian and the rest of Israel would be Israel. Are you for that? And a lot of people say, no, no, no. Listen, I'm not really for that because that that land belongs to Israel. But if there was a guaranteed, guaranteed, which there's not, it can't be, that they would have peace with Israel. I'd say, ah, all right, give them. When God wants, he'll take it back. But I would say, okay, if there's peace, but it can't be. Because they're, they're not looking for our peace. They say Israel is the object to peace in the Middle East. This is a sick distortion. The Middle East conflict is not simply a conflict between Israel and Palestinians. Behind the Palestinians, there are 20 to 30 Muslim nations who refuse to recognize Israel's very right to exist. And who backed the Palestinians in their often stated, never retracted determination to destroy Israel and the Jewish people. In 1948, since 1948, there have been six, seven wars in the Middle East. All of them began by Arab aggression. After the famous Six-Day War in 1967, one of the greatest military uh, victories in the history of the world, there was an Arab conference in Tunis. The result was the famous three no's they came out with. No recognition of Israel, no negotiation with Israel, no peace with Israel. It was not until 1978 that any Arab or Muslim nation agreed to make peace. Anwar Sadat of Egypt, the man who made this peace, was soon killed by his own people in these efforts. How can you make peace with someone who refuses to even recognize your right to exist? They have no right to exist. Israel wants peace. They do not want peace. The media likes to present Israel as the great regional superpower and the poor Palestinians as uh, obvious underdogs with a few stones in their hands. This is a pernicious distortion, totally ignores the geographical context and the facts of the Middle East. Israel is facing not simply Palestinians, but all the Muslim nations. After many, many years, they um, refused to recognize Israel's very right to exist. They've dedicated themselves to Israel's destruction. These Muslim nations have a total population of over 600 million, more than 100 times that of Israel. They occupy the territory more than 900 times that of Israel. Israel is not the aggressor. Israel wants peace. They do not want peace. So, That's some little bit uh, tidbits of what this is all about. But we find not just the Arabs, I find, I find everybody seems to rise up against the Jewish people. It's a religious thing. Churches. We have people who call for me to speak in churches all the time. You know they're getting less and less. It's harder and harder to get me into churches. Beth, stand up. (laughs) She's, she's my church caller, not congregational call. She calls and sets me up in speaking. It's harder and harder for her to get meetings because they're less and less in favor of Israel and more and more in favor of the poor Palestinians and Muslims who are suffering at the hands of the mighty, mean, evil Goliath of Israel who's out to destroy them. Harder and harder. Churches. We got believers who are, they say, and they always say to me, well, I know you're, they say you're interested in Israel, but what about the poor, poor Arab Muslim, the Palestinians? What about poor them? Well, I'm for them. I'm for their salvation. But what about our people? Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I spoke in a church. 
And, the, and I said to the pastor, he's a very nice guy. He liked me. I had a good thing. I said, oh. So he, I said, do you support missions? He goes, yeah. And he shows me the back of his uh, bulletin that we have. And I say, well, he supports, I don't know, it was maybe 20 different missionaries. And I looked. I said, oh, you don't support any Jewish ministries? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, we do. I said, where? He goes, oh, right here. We, we, we support a couple who lives in the West Bank that's ministering to the Arabs and the Palestinians. I said, that's your Jewish ministry. You're supporting that. There is more and more believers, churches. They teach replacement theology. God has finished with Israel because they're no good. They're the bullies. They're a neighborhood bully. They're aggressive. They want land. They want to conquer the world. Schools, colleges, more and more turn on them. Question is, it winds up, is there any hope for Israel? Yeah, you're sitting here. Of course you're going to scream, yeah, of course. <laughs> Listen, most, most of the people do not, are not in favor of Israel. Just go north 40-some miles, see what they think about it. Anyway, in that little town up there uh, called L.A. Anyway, there's no future. There's no hope. There's no future kingdom. There's no millennial. There's no hope for Israel. So, what about God's promises? What about God's promises to Jewish people today, to Israel? Are there promises? Will they come about? I want you to make sure you get some of these things because these are really interesting facts here and I want you to get this down today. There are promises we divided up into a couple of areas here. One, follow along in your outlines. One, God promised to establish a homeland and I purposely phrase it, everyone. Look, God promises to establish a homeland for who? Jewish people. There is to be a homeland for the Jewish people. God made a promise to Abraham 4,000 years ago. 4,000 years ago. We read Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's household, to the land I will show you. Abraham, you're going, and I'm going to make you promises. And I will make you a great nation, Abraham. Of course, at this point, he had no children. And there was no hope for children. He was getting old and it was too late. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and your name will be great so you will be a blessing. And I will bless all those people who bless you and I will curse all those who curse you. And in you, Abraham, all the families, the whole world will be blessed through the nation of Israel. Everyone look up here. I said the whole world's going to be blessed through the Jewish people. I didn't say they were better than anybody. I just said God is going to use this people to produce blessings throughout the world. God's purposes and plans throughout all the world was going to be from a people that didn't exist, that he created for God's purpose. Through them, all the families would be blessed. Verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, to your descendants, Jewish people, I will give this land. So he built an altar there uh, to the Lord who had appeared to him. God's going to give the land to Abraham's descendants. Everyone... Abraham had two major descendants. He had others through Keturah. Two major ones who are his two descendants. Everyone say it. And Ishmael and Isaac. Ah, well, maybe he gave it to the Arabs. Ishmael. Well, let's follow along. First, it says to Abraham, Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, not Palestine, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley. And he moved his tents as far as Sodom. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes, Abraham as we will do in three weeks. Well, and look north, south, east, west, and we will cover everything, folks. North, south, east, and west in the land of Israel. So I always get excited about that. All these lands which you see, I give to you and to your descendants. Again, which descendants? I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants will be numbered. So, which one? Isaac or Ishmael? Look at me. Genesis 26, verse 1, to Isaac. Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine which had occurred in Abraham's land. So Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in this land of which I shall tell you. Live, dwell, sojourn in this land. And I will be with you and I will bless you. For to you and your descendants. There we go, everyone. Ishmael, Isaac. God has promises for Ishmael. The land promises are going to Isaac. That's, he's making the promise to Isaac. To Isaac, your descendants, I will give all the lands and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father. Everything I promised to Abraham, I'm giving to Isaac. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and your descendants as the lands. And by the descendants of the, uh, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Isaac had two children. Everyone, call them out. 
Esau, Jacob. Well, maybe Esau gets the land. Esau's got his land, but Jacob, God is going to give the land of Israel. It's his promise. He reiterates the promise. Genesis 28. And behold, the Lord stood above it in a dream to Jacob. And he says, I'm the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and Isaac. The land on which you lie, Israel, where he was, I give it to you and your children. Jacob, it's his promise. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and the east and to the north and the south. And in you and your descendants, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God's going to bless them. He repeats the promise to Jacob. Genesis 35, 9. God appeared to Jacob. This is 20 years later. When he came from Padan Aram and he blessed him. And God said, your name is no longer Jacob, but now it's going to be Israel. Thus you call him Israel. God said, to him, I am God Almighty, be faithful, fruitful, multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. The kings of the earth will come forth from you. The land which I swore to Abraham and Isaac, I give it to you. And I will give the land to your descendants after you. So God gave the land to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob's 12 sons. We know his 12 sons are Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Asher, Z, Zebulon, Dan, Gad. Isaac took a car ride. Issachar, he retired. He laid down and took a nap. Naphtali, Issachar, Naphtali. You have no idea what I just said? Okay. Uh, Benjamin and Joseph, 12 sons. They get the land. Simple. I told you how to do that. You could do it too if you ever listen. I'm not going there. It's, we'll be here too long. Okay. But the psalmist repeats it. Psalm 105. Learn these verses. He, he has remembered his covenant forever. The word which he commanded to a thousand generations, God promised. The covenant which he made with Abraham, his oath to Isaac. Then he confirmed it to Jacob. We just traced that. To Israel is an everlasting uh, covenant saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as the portion of your inheritance. God gave the land to our Jewish people. Now I want you to write four words down. Very, very important. These four words. It's a promise that God gave this land to the Jewish people. Write down this word. Biblically, historically, nationally, economically. I know you don't know what that means, but let me do it quick. Biblically, God said it. We just traced it in Genesis, throughout all the Bible. Biblically, God gave the land to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his 12 sons. Biblically. Two, historically, there's always the argument. Who's lived on the land? Listen, for 4,000 years, our people have lived on the land. The Arabs have not lived on the land for 4,000 years. It started with Abraham. And they've been there for 4,000 years. They've never been kicked out of the land of Israel. Larry, you're not telling us the truth. 70, they were kicked out of the land of Israel. No, they weren't. Come with me to Israel and I'll prove it to you. I can prove it today. In 70, they were kicked out of Jerusalem. They were kicked out of Jerusalem. And they spread out there all the land of Israel. Judea, Samaria, the Galilee, and the Golan Heights. How do I know that? Because you see synagogues from those times. They were never kicked out of the land. They've been there for 4,000 years. So historically, they have precedent there. Nationally, it was granted to them. 1917, Balfour Declaration gave it to them. 1948, the nations of the world in the uh, United Nothing, the United Nations, they declared the land to be Israel's. It's always been declared to be them. Nationally. Economically, which most people don't know, in the 19th century, when the Jewish people made Aliyah and came back to the land of Israel, how did they get control of that land, those poor people? I'll tell you how they got control. They bought it from the Ottoman Empire, from the Turks, and they paid enormous prices. The Turks were laughing at these Jewish people that were buying swamps and that were loaded with diseases. Jewish people paid tremendously. In every way, the land was given to the Jewish people. Follow along. God confirmed it to Abraham. This land was confirmed. In Genesis chapter 15 is your confirmation. God said to Abraham, Do not fear Abraham. I'm your shield. I'm protecting you. Verse 2. 
Genesis 15, Abraham says, okay, you're for me, Lord. You're protecting me. So where's my children? I don't have any children. And so God says, oh, Abraham, come on out. Look up. What do you see? I see a lot of stars, Lord. So that's how many children you're going to have. You think, really? I don't have any. You're going to have all those children. And so God made a covenant in Genesis chapter 15 with Abraham. And we see, we follow along, 15. Then Abraham believed the Lord. He counted it to him for righteousness. And the Lord said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. He says, Lord, how do I know that you're going to do it? And so God said to him, we don't have to read the next couple verses. God said to him, it's all there in Genesis 15. God said, Abraham, I'm going to make an agreement with you. And this is what they all they did when they made those agreements. The two parties, they got sheep, goat, lamb, all kinds of animals. They got them together. They cut them in half. Blood flowed down the middle. The animals half here, half here. This is Genesis 15, the whole thing. Then the two parties passed through the blood. And they said, this is an agreement. If we don't keep our agreement, may this all happen to us. In Genesis 15, God said, Abraham, get the parts. Get the, get the animals. He got the animals. He split them apart. And God says, Abraham, take a nap. Take a nap. Abraham, what do you say? All right, I'll put you to sleep. God put Abraham to sleep. In Genesis 15, it says he was sound asleep. And it says God passed through the parts. You know what that's called? That's called a unilateral covenant. Not bilateral. One party passed through. The one party says, I'm going to do it. It's all up to me. You have nothing to do with it. Abraham was sleeping when God made the promise. And he gives him the land portions in Genesis 15. The covenant was promised and made to Abraham. Only God himself passed through the parts. See, fill it in. God expresses his heart. God expresses his heart for his Jewish people. Isaiah 49. But Zion said in Isaiah's time, Isaiah said, God has forsaken me and the Lord has forgotten me. Obviously, when you and I go through a difficult time, we feel God's forsaken us. I know, you're, you're much more spiritual than me. You can go through all kinds of problems, house, car, children, disease, everything, and you say, God, praise God. No, no, no. We feel God has forsaken us when we go through difficult times, all of us. And that's how Israel felt. And so the prophet says, God's forsaken me. And God answers him, can a woman forget her child? No, not possible. Even though she could. And can a woman have no compassion on her son of her womb? No. Even these may forget, but I will never forget you. Behold, God says, I've inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Israel, you are always in front of me. I will always watch over you, no matter what you go through. Jeremiah, the Lord appeared to him from afar saying, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I've drawn you with loving kindness. God loves his people. That's his heart. Either God is a liar, he's impatient, and God can't be trusted, or it's all true. The media, everyone says Israel are the aggressors. And I always, the, my, my favorite comparison, even though I'm a California now, when I lived on the East Coast, I always tried, best, I, the best way I could illustrate it, you might find some area around here, but I, li- I lived in New Jersey. And I just imagine New Jersey, try to imagine waking up one morning, because Israel's about the size of New Jersey. And we wake up one morning and we see in the Star Ledger, the paper, Pennsylvania, New York, Ohio, Delaware, Virginia, Washington, all declares war on New Jersey. That's what it's like over there. They're out, they're trying to survive for their own survival. When Israel took out the nuclear reactor in Iraq in 1981, the whole world condemned Israel. They would have destroyed Israel had they done it. First and everyone, most important, God has given the land to Israel. Follow along. Number two, God promised a land for the people. But here, God promised to raise up, protect, and preserve this people. God promised. Here it is. Try to make it clear. Here, everyone, God promised the land to the Jewish people. Second, God promised a people to preserve and watch over this people wherever they are. God will preserve the people. Fill it in. The history of the Jewish people. This is amazing when you think of this point. Because you can look up here instead of writing. God said, this people I will protect and watch over. will always survive. And yet when you look at the history of the people, it's scary. From the very beginning, they had bad beginnings. Abraham's wife, Isaac's wife, Jacob's wife, all barren. All right, so we get one child. There's not much for this people. 
Then they go down to Egypt and Pharaoh decides he's going to destroy them all. Kill the firstborn, bury the sons. He's going to destroy the Jewish people. That doesn't work. Everywhere you go, they get into the lands of Israel, the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Jerkites. I mean, uh, uh, that just came out. I wrote down here also, Assyria, Babylon, the Medes and the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Crusaders, the Church, Inquisition, pogroms, Nazis, Islam, Muslim, Palestinians. Everyone you can think of was out to destroy this poor little people. What hope do they have? Nobody is for them. So how can they exist? I wrote down here, the first point there, the history. There's no hope for this people. Everyone's against them. Every nation, every individual. There's no hope yet. B, the promise to the Jewish people. God makes a promise to them. So the first fact, A, was that the reality is there would be really no hope. But B, God, in spite of all this, made a promise. Look, Isaiah 11. Then it will happen on that day that the Lord will again recover the second time with his hand the remnant of the people, the Jewish people, who remain from Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, from the islands of the sea, from all over the world. Isaiah says, he will lift up a standard for the nations, he will assemble the banished ones of Israel, and he will gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. In spite of, against all odds, God says, there will always be the Jewish people. You can't get rid of these people no matter what you do. Jeremiah, therefore behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when it will no longer be said as the Lord lives who brought up the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt. That was the Exodus. That was uh, Moses. That's the way God has always known. But someday it's going to be different. As the Lord lives, it's going to say, uh, who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of the north and from all the countries where he had banished them. For I will restore them to their own land and I will give it to their fathers. Jeremiah 31, thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day, the moon for light, by night, the stars by night. He stirs up the sea that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from me, sun, moon, stars, get rid of all that, then you can get rid of the Jewish people. You can't get rid of them. Then the offspring of Israel will also cease from being a nation. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out below, then I will also cast off the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. It's amazing. We can travel. We, we could get, I think, I don't know how far out they tell us we've gone. We've seen the moon. We get out to maybe Mars and all that. It's amazing because we go out to outer space, but no one on earth has ever gone to the bottom of the ocean. We can't even get to the bottom of our own earth. God says, if you can do all that, then, okay, no more Jews. You can't get rid of our Jewish people. Verse uh, Ezekiel 37 says, Say to them, thus says the Lord. And I said, where was I? Yeah. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will take the sons of Israel from among the nations where they have gone, and I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land, on the mountains of Israel, mountains of Israel. They will have one king, not here yet, but everything else is fulfilled in our time. It's amazing. Everything God said about Israel has happened. The picture in the Bible, God gives you the final end result. You know what that is? That is Jewish people in their own land, flourishing as a land, with their king watching over them. It's all happened, folks, except the king's not here yet. He's coming. It's close. It's close. We don't know how close. I think it might be next week, but, you know, <laughs> maybe after our trip. Then the king's coming back. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Zechariah 8. Oh, great chapter. The reason I love it is when we go to Jerusalem, some of us are going to complain. You know why? Too crowded. Too many children running around. When you're in the, right in the streets of the old city. As we get, look what it says in Zechariah. Thus says the Lord, behold, I'm going to save my people from the land of the east, land of the west. I'll bring them back. They will live in the midst of Jerusalem and they shall be my people and I will be their God in truth. Actually, Zechariah says the streets will be too crowded. That's it. Follow along. Roman numeral two, God still protects. The miracle of Israel. Everyone I said, A, not possible. Everyone's against them. Two, God says, I know you don't think it's possible, but I'm going to do it. See? The miracle. The miracle of Israel. 
Israel is a miracle. In fact, if you want miracles, this is the greatest miracle I think you can ever explain. This is like the resurrection from the dead. It is a total impossibility that there could be a nation of Israel. About two, three hundred years ago, people said the Jewish people are going to come back to the land and have their own land. Bible believers in the whole world laughed, scoffed. They said that is not possible. Nobody is for it. All the Jewish people in the world didn't want it. They just said, give us peace in our own land. We don't, don't, we don't need a homeland. It's okay. Don't inflame the nations. It is a total impossibility that a people so small, weak, and insignificant can decide to rise up around the whole world and come back to their land. Never been done. Impossible. One of the great kings in the uh, hundreds of years ago said, someone said, can you prove God? He goes, I could prove God in one word. He said, what's that? He goes, Israel. It's not possible. There is no explanation how a people can rise up, coordinate an effort, go against everyone who hates them, and land in the land of Israel. Not possible. Nobody wanted it. So what did happen? It happened. Because God wanted it. It's a total impossibility. The whole concept of Israel. In 1895, I think it was, there was a, a, a trial of a Jewish general by the name of Dreyfus. He uh, wasn't a general. He was a captain, Dreyfus. They tried him for crimes and misdemeanors against uh, France, against the government. They said he sold secret documents. He was a scapegoat. It's a famous, famous trial in 1895. And Dreyfus was put on trial. And the whole world was watching it. And throughout all of France, France had a slogan, folks. You could see it on the, at the Sorbonne today. Liberté, equality, fraternity for all men. Soon as documents are sold, Jews, they did it. And the whole world was crying out at the trial, death to the Jews, death to Dreyfus. And there was a, a, a Jewish journalist sitting there at that time who said, Israel, Jewish people are not safe. There's only one place for the Jewish people. They need their homeland. And that was Theodor Herzl, the father of modern Zionism. He started the movement to get the Jewish people back to their own land. And like I said, nobody wanted it. No one was for it. What happened on May 14th? It was happened. It took place. The other, the miracle with it, here's what the, see, it's so beyond belief to think that these people could rise up and do it. Not only that, which we know at that time they discussed, what language would we speak? Those of you who are visitors don't know, listen, the Jewish people from Spain and France and Germany and throughout the world, they wanted to speak Spanish and French and Yiddish there was a worldwide discussion. What language will we speak? And you're sitting there and go, well, Hebrew, of course. The only problem was there was no Hebrew. What do you mean? Hebrew was dead. No language. 2,000 years hadn't been used. The Jewish people used it, yeah, in the synagogue for prayers and read the Bible. That's it. There was no language. And one man, everywhere you go in Jerusalem, you go down the street, Ben Yehuda, everywhere, there's a Ben Yehuda street. One man, Came back from Israel in the 19th century, the end of the 19th century, and he invented the Hebrew language. One man made up words, made up the whole Hebrew language. There was no language. And he had his son born, and he made his wife promise, only speak Hebrew to the children. They were mad at him. They hated him because they said, your son will be an idiot. There is no language. He says, I will make it up as I go along. And I always love to tell the story about 10, 15 years later, his son is in school and he comes home bloody, beaten. Kids persecute him, hate him because of his father. And he said to his mom, Mom, I have good and bad news. And she says, what are the bad news? They persecuted me. They beat me up. They cursed at me because of dad. She goes, what's the good news? He said, they cursed at me in Hebrew. (laughs) One language, folks. One people, one language. It is an impossibility that there could be a land called Israel with Jewish people speaking their own land. Promise, God said, there will be land. There will be people because God does it. Three, follow along. God promised to protect the land, promised to make the land productive and fruitful. Important again, contrast. A, the past. What was the land? Let's go back a couple thousand years ago. 
Babylon came in in 586. Land of Israel. Babylonians came in, destroyed the land of Israel. Destroyed the temple. Burned it to the ground. There's ashes. You come with me, I'll show you some of the ashes still in the old city. In the special house that we go to, you'll see the ashes in the basement of either the high priest or a very, very wealthy rich man's house in Jerusalem. Babylon leveled the city. 500 years later, the Romans came in in 70. After the temple had been rebuilt, they leveled the city. They destroyed the temple. They burned everything to the ground. I'll show you those ashes. There's all kinds of ashes all over Israel. From Babylon, from 70. Jewish people filtered back in the land for 60 more years until about 135 when the Romans came back in. They salted the earth. They destroyed everything in Jerusalem and they kicked the Jewish people out of Jerusalem. They renamed everything Palestine for the nation and the city was no longer called Jerusalem. Eliolina Capitolina. Elio Capitolina. Elia Capitolina was the new name of Jerusalem. No more remnants of the Jewish people. No more land. And it lay desolate for 2,000 years. Desert, cracked, dry, barren, other areas, swamps, disease, malaria, nothing in the land. More than 100 years ago, 150 years ago or so, Mark Twain, the dream of everybody, I got to go to the Holy Land. So he went to the Holy Land and he got there and he went, this is it. This is the Holy Land. Who in their right mind would want to come to this place? There was nothing. There was a few people scattered here and there. There was disease. Who in the world, in their right mind, would ever want to come to this land? See, I'm taking you in the outline. The past, it was barren. It was nothing. There was no hope. What's God's promise? Everyone, the promise for the land. What did God promise? See the contrast. What's the reality? The contrast. What God says. Look what God says in Isaiah 35. The wilderness, the desert will be glad. Rejoice and beautiful. Blossom. The Arab will rejoice and blossom like a crocus, like a rose. It'll blossom profusely. And with their rejoice will rejoicing and shouts of joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord. The majesty. God says it's going to blossom like a rose. Why do I like to go? Actually, April or May. Ideally, what you want to do, just like California, when the rain stops, you want to go two weeks later. Israel's in blossom. It's bloom. Everywhere. Everything. Blossoming. Roses. Everything. You want to go there. Now, people say you want to go in October. Very nice time to go. But you're not going to see. It's going to be barren. Because everything dies out in the hot summer heat. But you go now, things are in bloom. And you see all the beautiful colors in Israel. And God said it's going to happen. Um, Amos chapter 9, verse... Skip that one. Good. Chapter 9, verse 14. I will restore the captivity of my people Israel. Amos said it's going to happen. He's going to bring them back. They'll rebuild the ruined cities. They'll live in them. They will also plant vineyards and drink their wine. I'll make gardens... And uh, gardens, they will eat their fruit. I will also plant them on their land, and they will not be uprooted again from their land, which I have given to them. Thus says the Lord Ezekiel, the Lord God, on that day that I cleanse you from all your filthiness, your wickedness, your iniquities, I will cause cities to be inhabited. The waste places will be rebuilt. The desolate land will be cultivated instead of being a desolation in the sight of everyone who passed by. They will say this desolate, Land has become like the Garden of Eden and the waste desolate and ruined cities are fortified and inhabited. The nations that are left around you will know that the Lord, uh, that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted that which was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. God is going to bring about the blossoming. So we see the land. The reality is, point A there, or letter A, is... Uh, the land will be desolate for 2,000 years. B, God says, I will bless the land. C, the sea is the land today. Now, I want you to look up here. We go north, second day, and we go to the Galilee, and we go to the Golan Heights. And we spend five days there, longer than most people, and we see everything up there. And then when we leave, <clears throat> Fran always gets a little depressed when we leave, because he's oh, I love the beautiful Galilee and the Golan Heights. It's so beautiful up there. and it, It's tremendous. We leave and we go south. We go all the way down to the Dead Sea. 
And that's usually on that, that just takes a couple hours. We drive, it's not far. We drive through, and that's when people say to me, Are we going anywhere near the West Bank? And I say, We're in the West Bank. We go right through the West Bank. And as we're going through it, that's, that is the longest valley in the world. It's called the Great Rift, African, uh, Syrian African Rift. From Syria, from Turkey, all the way down to Africa. The largest ditch, valley in the world. It's called the Jordan Valley. We go through that valley. And as we're going, and on one side you see the Jordan River, and right over there the, the mountains of Gilead, where Eliyahu Hanavi, that's where he comes from, land of Gilead. And, that, and you see them on the mountains over the Jordan. And then we see the Jordan River, which is a little trickle. And then we're, we're driving through the valley. And then other, on the other side, you see the mountains of Samaria and Judea. And as we're going through this valley, as you're going through this valley, for 2,000 years, there was nothing here. It was barren. There was nothing at all. Today, it produces more fruits and flowers, second only, I think, to America, and disperses them throughout all the world. The amazing thing, look at me. I love this verse. When we go through the valley, I read it. Isaiah 27, 6. In the days to come, it says, in the days to come, Jacob will take root. nation of Israel will take root. Israel will blossom and sprout, and they will fill the whole world with their fruit. Isaiah said that, folks. 2,700 years ago. And it's happening today. They feed the world with their fruit. The cities are flourishing. God said, I'm going to bless this land. The soil's rich. The irrigation. The mountains are dripping with the water. You look at Israel's side and you see it's rich and lush and wonderful. You look at the Arab side and it's barren and cracked and dead. Unless Israel goes over and helps them. Israel helps the Arabs to produce their land and produce their fruit and to produce everything. So some of the Arabs are actually getting blessed by the Israeli people. They say thank you and then they kill us. That's what they try to do. This, the Israel's like, Gaza. Gaza was once famous. It was beautiful when Israel had control. They gave it over to the Palestinians and now it's a garbage pit. It's horrible. In this valley, we go to a place in the north. We go to a place called Mount Arbel. Very few people go to Mount Arbel, let alone climb down it like we do, right down the cliff. Um, Very few people go to that. When you look at the top of Arbel, it's a beautiful sight. If it's not cloudy, beautiful sight. And you see the uh, Sea of Galilee. And you see the Valley of Knesseret. And you see everything grows in the valley. 2,000 years ago, Josephus said, anything grows in this valley. Anything. Just plant, boom, it's going to grow. Not only that, all fruit, all kinds, some that are supposed to grow this part of the year, some grow this part of the year. Not in Israel. All the time, all the time, all the fruit. He says, only one problem, it doesn't grow bananas. You go there today, that's all you find. Bananas everywhere. The land blossoms. God said it was going to happen. The whole story. It's a, it's, a, it's a miracle. Everything we see. Everything grows there. God promised to bless the land. I said today, God said he will preserve a land. He's going to preserve a people. He's going to bless this land, which we see in our own day. I get so excited because all these things, people say, it's close. The Lord's coming back. When? I don't know when. But it could be close. How do you know? Because the picture that God says with Messiah reigning in Jerusalem is Messiah reigning in Jerusalem, in the land of Israel, cities built, land flourishing, flowers and fruit, everything blessed the land. It's just there, just let's put the cherry on the top. Messiah. God gives us the end picture. So we don't know how close we are to completion of that. Last thing. God promises... There's only one thing missing in this whole scenario. I said God will make a land. God will make a people. God will bless the land. And therefore God will. Good. Bless the people. God will promise to revive the Jewish people spiritually. This part I don't like. A. The spiritual condition of my Jewish people today. What is the spiritual? People ask me that. You go to Israel, what's the spiritual condition of Jewish people today? Listen, everyone in Israel, 
except the very, very religious Orthodox, love to talk. They'll talk about anything. They love talking to American politics. They, we don't do that here. Anyway, they love talking to American politics. They love talking about anything and anything and everything. They love talking about religion. They love talking about the Messiah. They will talk to you about anything. Talk, engage. It's wonderful. You mean they're spiritual over there? Hey, number four, spiritual condition. Listen carefully. All the Jewish people over there as a whole, they're empty. They're devoid of God's spirit. They're secular. They're tremendously worldly. They have no faith, no word, no word of God. They do have the Bible. They don't read it. They don't know it. They have no prayer. They don't pray. They're agnostics. They're atheists. And it's amazing. I tell a story. I met this rabbi. And the rabbi said to me, you're not Jewish anymore. I said, okay, I'm not Jewish. So let me ask you, rabbi, two pictures. I said, one Jewish person, parents are Jewish, grandparents are Jewish, raised in a Jewish home, doesn't believe in God, doesn't read the Bible, doesn't pray, claims to be an atheist or an agnostic, he follows Buddha, doesn't go to synagogue, doesn't know anything about his Jewishness, worships the devil. Is he Jewish? And the rabbi looked at me. This happened. Yeah, of course. I said, thank you. Now I said, rabbi, me, here I am. Parents are Jewish. Grandparents are Jewish. Raised in a Jewish home. Raised in the synagogue. Had my bar mitzvah. Read the Bible every day. Pray every day. Worship on Shabbat. Observe the Jewish holidays. Believe in God. Believe in the coming of Messiah. I believe Yeshua, Jesus, is the Messiah. Am I Jewish? On the edge. I said, thanks a lot. I need his on the edge. But the amazing thing is our people are secular and godless. But, there's the but, God. B, spiritual condition promised for the Jewish people, for the land and the people. What does God say of the secular, godless, wicked people that turned away from God? Let me tell you, Tel Aviv is no different than San Francisco, folks. Maybe worse. Doesn't mean I don't love my people and pray for them. Ezekiel says, I'm going to take you, Jewish people, from the nations and gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. Then I'll sprinkle clean water on you. I will spiritually save you. That's what it means. Sprinkle clean water on you. And you'll be clean. I'll cleanse you from all your filthiness and all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I'll remove that heart of stone from your flesh. I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. I will cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers. So you will be my people and I will be your God. Thus says the Lord God, on that day I will cleanse you from all your filthiness. So this godless, secular, worldly people that are devoid of God's spirit, God says I'm going to make them spiritual. It's going to happen. Everything else he said took place. Zechariah. And I do like that verse, but it doesn't have much to do with what I'm saying. I'll read it anyway. I like it. I will pour it out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. In that day when Messiah comes back, he's going to pour out on Jew- Jewish people. So the whole world, all the Jewish people will look upon me. Will, will, I'm saying, will look on me whom they have pierced. It's prediction when Messiah comes back and all the nation of Israel sees Messiah and his pierced marks. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. They will weep bitterly. This is the, re- the revival that will take place when Yeshua returns. But I want you to see Zechariah 13.1. In that day, in that day, there'll be a fountain opened in the future. This is the fulfillment of Yom Kippur, folks. On that day, for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and for impurity. This is when God will cleanse the nation of Israel. You see, the spiritual condition I said, A, was it's bad. But God says, it'll be good. I'm going to make it good. Uh, Jeremiah says, this is what I'm going to do for the people. 
days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, the house of uh, Judah. Not like the old covenant, Mosaic, the law, which I gave their fathers. I took them by the hand, bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Here it is. This is what God's going to do for that devoid of God's spirit. Those empty people, those secular people. This is the covenant that I will make with them in that day. The house of Israel. I will put my law inside them. I'll put it on their heart. I will write it there on their heart and I will be their God and they shall be my people. God's going to put his law in their heart for our people. They will not teach again. Everyone is neighbor and everyone is his brother saying, know the Lord for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Fact is they're devoid of God's spirit but God says I will revive the people. I will revive the nation. Now, I always say this. This is amazing. We live in the year 2014. I got saved. 72 when I got saved. If you had told me there's a Jewish believer in Idaho. I pick on Idaho. I don't know why. I would say, yes, I know him. Because we knew all of us that were believers. God's law was written on my heart on that day. I knew God personally on that day. My sins were forgiven me on that day. And in that day, there was a few of us around the world. Since then, thousands and thousands, maybe millions, have come to believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. God promised that people, I will revive their spirit. I will spiritually revive them. It's happening in our day. We see it more and more. I always like to tell the story when I drove across the country with my wife and the girls, 1997, and we traveled to the major spots. We got to Yellowstone. We got to Old Faithful. I wanted to get to Old Faithful. I wanted to see it erupt. I wanted to see it happen. They all told me about it. And they said it happens every 90 minutes. So we got there and of course there was nothing. I said, oh, how long ago did it erupt? They go, oh, about five minutes ago, of course. So, so I had to wait off 90 minutes with the kids. And so about 30, 40, 50 minutes later, all of a sudden from that little hole in Yellowstone, all of a sudden I said, that's it, let's go. You know, I'm a little like Chevy Chase. We saw it, let's go next thing, we gotta go. They said, no, 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 it's going to happen. Five, ten minutes later, oh, that was it. I was beautiful. I really had a good time. Oh, faithful was good. No, 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 you got to stay. And finally, it started to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And the 90th minute came. I don't know, a couple hundred feet in the air, that hot, that water coming from the inside. It's happening in our day, folks. It really is. The miracle of Israel. God has promises to Israel. He's going to keep them all. He always said, the land belongs to the people. I've given it to them. You can fight over it. You can divide it. You can do anything you want. The land belongs to the Jewish people. Two, there will always be a people to occupy that land. God will preserve that people no matter who rises up against them. Three, that land I'm going to bless physically the land. Flowers and fruit and buildings and cities and prosperity and beauty. I'm going to bless that land. Finally, the people. I'm going to bless the people. I will turn their hearts. I'll give them a new spiritual heart. They will know me. My law will be in their heart and their sins will be forgiven. God will always keep his promises to the Jewish people. We need to pray for our people all the time because the world rises up against them. Now, we know their eventual outcome, but we got to pray for the peace of Jerusalem as it's told to us. It's getting close, more and more close. It's not the famines, disease, pestilence, and all the signs of the world. One is, as all the nations rise up against Israel, that says it would happen. Israel, folks, has no friend. America doesn't look good, folks. Doesn't look good. We love our country. It just doesn't look good. 
where we're turning. And it does say all of them will turn against our people. But it's getting real close. How close, I don't know. A, God will keep his promises to Israel. Always has, always will. You can't stop the promises. Two, because we know God is faithful to Israel, will keep his promises, God will keep his promises to you and me. Look to Israel and see that God preserves them. He's going to preserve us. He will always watch over us. And finally, God will bring about that future kingdom one day. I look forward to that kingdom. Promise in Romans 11, if the Jewish people's transgression meant the whole world would get rich, if their failure meant the Gentiles would get rich, how much more is going to be when they all come back to faith? Which is happening in our day. If their rejection is the reconciliation of the whole world, what's going to happen when they accept the Messiah? Well, the kingdom, future kingdom. For I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, uninformed about this mystery, that you will not be, uh, not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to our people, to Israel, until the fullness comes in of all the Gentiles has come in. And then God says, all Israel that day, one day will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is the covenant with them when I will take away their sins. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. You can't change the promises. So because God is favoring and blessing and going to keep his promises to Israel, therefore we should also. We celebrate today Israel's Independence Day. We say God has promised to rebuild the land. He's doing it. Done it tremendously. He promised to revive his people. He's doing it. And he will establish the future messianic kingdom on the earth. God has always promised to keep his, God will always keep his promises to Israel. Today we remember that God brought our people back and will always keep his promises. Let's all bow together for a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for your promises, for who you are. I thank you that you are faithful and true and just. And Lord, we can depend on you. Even though we can't depend on man and even ourselves. We thank you that you love us, care for us, and made promises to us and to our people.